That is simply focus with every journey and Dominic Gilda. Welcome back everyone. You're listening to episode number nine of the Simply Focus podcast, and today I'm your host, Dominic Goda. We are sitting at the dining table of Steve Langer. Hi Steve. Hi. Great to have you here on our podcast. We've been having such a good time together with you and your wife and Elfie and Bibiana. Just so great to to meet you and get to know you here. Yeah, well, thanks. It's, it's been a pleasure having you here. So I really appreciate uh, that we get a chance to talk and, and uh, have some fun and uh, talk about solution-focused. Yeah, we had some long conversations <laughs> till one o'clock at night together about so many different things. It was so great to, well, to meet someone who has been with Solution Focus for such a long time. Stephen, or actually Dr. Stephen Langer, is a clinical psychologist. He's director of the Northwest Brief Therapy Training Center here in Olympia. He's also president of the SFBTA, Solution Focus Brief Therapy Association, and a business consultant. And he told me that he well got in touch with Solution Focus in 1984. And it's, well, for us, so great to meet someone who was there all this time and, and was kind of seeing all those developments was part of that was behind the mirror was in front of the mirror was contributing with with his thoughts and and his interventions to what we now call solution focus so for us it's really an honor to be here and it's great to not only talk to you about solution focus but get to know you and spend time with you so let's come to the first question what fascinates you about solution focus well you know um uh I think that the main thing that it does for me is it really keeps me thinking about things that are useful in some way and constructive rather than negative and and problem focused. So I've just really um, enjoyed really not only being able to help my clients, but also help my own life in terms of looking at what's useful, how I can make things better rather than just how bad it is and then focusing on on then try to trying to fix things versus trying to move towards what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you said you work with your clients, and also apply those well this mindset in in your everyday life, and this for such a long time. So so tell me what what is still kind of after such a long time still kind of the fascination to stick with this approach. Well, you know, the the thing that really I I just really love about it, I mean, every morning when I wake up, I look forward to going to work. Mm. And the reason I look forward to going to work is is every person is different. And and I really get to explore what they want and what their hopes are and and what they're good at and and uh, what resources they have available to them mm. to achieve what they want. And so, so for me, it's this really positive experience. Even people who are mired in all kinds of troubles that when we can start thinking about, if you will, almost this parallel universe of solutions versus problems, that people sort of come alive in a way that, that is just joyful to watch and and it's and and I feel really honored to to kind of walk with them for a little ways uh, as they move towards mm. what they want. And how do you notice that they come alive? What are signs that you see? Well, so um, when we start talking about what people want rather than what they don't want, or you know the uh, 
you know, what they are aiming for versus how bad things are in the moment, it really changes the, the conversation completely. And people start being hopeful. They start being more positive. Uh, they start uh, uh, looking forward to things. They start figuring out what the next small steps is that they can do to move towards mm. uh, their desired future. So it's it's just, uh, uh, it's uh, I just, I think I have one of the, most fun jobs in the world. Mm. Yeah, I can I really see that in your in your posture and your gesture and your eyes. And what was the kind of typical client that comes to you and, and what do you do with them on a very concrete level? Well, I, I actually see a really wide variety of people. I have a general practice, but a lot of the people I see are people who have been in car accidents and then, for example, and have trouble getting back on the road because they're really fearful about, um, you know, potentially getting hit again. Uh, I uh, work with a lot of people who come in saying they're depressed or they have anxiety problems. I work with people who uh, come in and say, you know, their relationship is in trouble and they they don't know what to do anymore. So I actually see lots of different kinds of people. And, um, and the really cool thing about this approach, the solution-focused approach, is that it really doesn't matter what the problem is as much as what really matters is what they want and what they want that's different from what they have now as well as what they want to take into the future with them mm. that they've already got going for mm. themselves. So they come in and I guess when they're coming in, they're not that hopeful. Oftentimes yeah. not. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And then asking what they want. How do you do that? What is, what is kind of your trick, your solution focused well, way? I, I wish there was <laughs> some sort of trick. It's actually just uh, being kind of persistent in terms of being curious about what people are interested in getting. I mean, really, there's two questions. One of them is, what do they want to get out of the session with me? And the second question is, what do they want different in their life that might somehow uh, help them to move forward and and have a better life. And when we start exploring that, people oftentimes will generate some really interesting lists of things that they can do that uh, that will help them uh, even in small ways. So, for example, I had somebody today I was working with um, who you know said, "Oh, I've seen lots of therapists over a number of years. She's in her fifties, uh, and she said, you know, it, it's been somewhat helpful, but but." Uh, you know, here I am depressed again, and, and I, you know, I hate my life, and things are not going well, and I just see, she sort of came in with this dark cloud, and by the end of the session, she was talking about what she wanted that was different, uh, and most importantly, some really small steps that she could take mm. to start to recognize that she was heading in the right direction, mm. um, so she ended up talking about uh, things like uh, when she got up that she would pay attention to her that rather than just staying in bed that when the alarm went off that she would even though she didn't feel like getting up that she would just put one leg over the side of the bed and then she would put the next uh, leg over the side of the bed and then she would be then it was sort of silly not to be sitting and if she was sitting she might as well get up and she could get going on the day and so she ended up 
being very hopeful about, oh, maybe now I can get up when the day starts rather than just struggling with, you know, pushing the snooze button one more time and one more time and one more time and then being late for work and getting in trouble with her boss and, and so on. Mm. I can really re see that and relate to that. I think it's one of the, the greatest things for us to see how, well, people come in a conversation like this and then how they suddenly what change in their body posture when they talk about what they want? Like, hmm, oh, it's a good question. So what do I want? Oh, ah, I want this and this and this. And then you kind of see how, how their whole kind of body and then... The well, she was actually changes. smiling at, at the end of the session when at the at the beginning of the session, she was just really dour and and really, and actually cried a little bit and so on. And, and not that she wasn't really sort of in legitimate, sort of distress about about how bad she felt but she was able to shift how she felt mm. and so the smile was very much about wow maybe I can do some things and and especially with her she said well I need to get ready for the day and then that was much too big a step mm. so she needed to start with simply getting one leg out of the bed and when she did that then the next thing made sense because it's sort of silly to have one leg <laughs> hanging out the bed and so on. And pretty soon she, I mean, and she could see literally, I mean, I watched her literally observe herself in her mind's eye going through this process and feeling like, Oh wow, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can get up on time and get, get going so that I can go uh, and, and uh, go to my work mm -hmm. and, and be on time. So small things, details, 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 we say, yeah, just, really yeah, small things. Small things, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she might even, I don't know how the conversation was, but she might even have discovered uh, that she was able to do that like that before. Uh, exactly. One leg out of the bed, I was able to, I'm able to do And that. in fact, I'd asked her, how did you do this before? Because she wasn't always depressed, mm -hmm. of course. And although she didn't mention that, she did talk about other things that she did that were really small things that made a difference. Mm -hmm. And so... And so I always aim for th people doing things that are almost silly, almost laughable in their simplicity and their smallness to get started. Because, as you know, um, most people who, you know, feel bad end up feeling bad because they start their day poorly and then the day gets worse from there on. But if they can start their day pretty well, they have a much better better chance of having a good day mm. so just starting the day right even with the tiniest thing can get you on that path of having a good day versus on that path staying stuck in in having a bad day so yeah what do people want talk about that and then talk about really those small behaviors small kind of details of things that they well might be able to do or have been able to do before we also talked the um, last few nights, I've been talking about, well, this development of solution-focused approach since, well, you said you uh, met Steve and Insu in 1984. Yeah, I met Steve in 84 and then didn't meet Insu, I think, until like 86 or okay. so. Okay. Well, since then, a lot of kind of new things have been developed with Steven Insu and also other, other people. And you told us uh, yesterday that you like to experiment, like to try out and like to go back to, well, the 1984 world, for example, and try something from there again or go back to something that was kind of came up in the last few years, try this and 
kind of see if it if it fits you still or how it works. So can you give us an, an example of things that are really valuable for our listeners, for solution-focused practitioners who have, like we've been, we've been there only the last 15 years, but kind of are there things you say that they're really valuable from really back then that you like to apply and, and still really work well? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I uh, remember that, you know, back in 84, 85, there was a lot of exception seeking. And, you know, you actually mentioned it just a minute ago. It, it's really a way of finding out the resources that people already have that they may not be aware of. So, for example, today I saw a fellow who... Um, who said that he was, as he put it, you know, very successful in his professional life. He was retired by now, and uh, but had not been very successful in his personal life. And so I was really curious about his success in his person in, in his in his um, work life and how what he'd been doing there that maybe he hadn't been doing in his personal life. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things he said is that that. He was a very good listener and had always asked people about things and kind of brought them out, whereas with his wife, he was sort of kind of tuning her out and, and not really paying attention, being very impatient with her as she, as he would see it, kind of droned on about things. Well, I mean, the obvious thing, at least the obvious thing to me then, was to say to think about, so how can he borrow what he learned in his professional life that he might now be able to use in his personal mm. life. Mm. And so uh, at the very at the end of our session, we ended up talking about uh, that he might, for about an hour in the morning, act as if he was in his professional role and treat his wife like he would somebody at work in terms of how he listened and would pay attention to what she said and so on in a way that he did when he was at work. But since I realized this was really difficult for him to do, they had been married for many, many years, Mm -hmm. uh, that I didn't want him to do it for more than an hour because it might be too Mm -hmm. hard for him to do that. So I suggested that that he do it just for an hour Mm -hmm. and, and try that out and experiment with that to see what might be different. And so I told him that the point of this wasn't to do this differently. The point was to observe himself and to observe how she responded when he approached it sort of in the way that he'd gotten very good at at work to see if there were any useful things there that he might want to take into the rest of his life, but that he shouldn't do more than an hour because we wanted to make sure that he didn't strain himself too much and not work too hard, but but get enough of a, a good sample so that he could then analyze that and see what he what might be useful to him some way in his personal life so he could transfer that success from his professional life into his personal so life. So it's exception from kind of professional life into his private life. Yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and it, it was interesting that he had and he I, I knew of him and, and he he's a very successful uh, person mm. in business. He had he'd he'd done very well for himself. And so I knew that he actually had some pretty really good people skills that, that he had developed at work, but somehow I suspect hadn't been applying at work, I mean, rather at home, mm-hmm. because we tend to see, I think, our partners as an extension of ourselves. So we don't apply the same kind of, you know, courtesies we do to others, to our spouses. Oh, wow. 
And you also mentioned in this example um, one very important aspect of uh, solution-focused practice, especially in the beginning, kind of this focus on the task at the end. Well, yes. Over the years, it has also a little bit changed to more focus on these small interactions in the conversation and still very valuable element. And we talked about that yesterday and you said, I like that, I love that, I still are fascinated by that. So what, what is your fascination with that for the last 30 five years. Uh, well, you know, I, I really love a good task. It really is true. Uh, and, and of course, but it has to be meaningful and relevant to the client. So obviously, this is something that, you know, as we talk about things, you know, we're co-creating this, you know, what might work, what might be useful in some way. And so then at the end, usually this, this is just sort of a logical extension of what we've been talking about right. all along. And so I find that that's a really good way to kind of speed along the progress that people are making when they have something to focus on, to work on in between sessions. You know, sometimes that's, that's not appropriate, but certainly I think that, it, that at least my clients report that they're really grateful for those things and, and, and always learn something, especially when it just kind of organically grows out of the this conversation, mm. this back and forth mm. that we're having. Yeah. It also connects well to um, the podcast we had last week about play, something very playful. Kind of yeah. have this task and then to do as if for an hour, for example, and then see what's happening. Yeah, well, and I think I come at it from a slightly different perspective. I was trained as a scientist. So mm. for me, the sort of experimenting is is a very meaningful thing that it's it's kind of a way at getting at things at gathering information that might be useful in some way and that you can ask a lot of sort of what if questions and try some things out it's kind of like like when you go to the store and you you try out you know different shirts and see how well they fit and some gosh they it, you know it looked good on the rack but boy sure doesn't work very well on my body and then other things that don't look so great on the rack but you put it on mm. and you say wow yeah. this is great yeah. so so it's that kind of data that i think is so helpful for people who are trying to make some change and and make things better for themselves it's mm. just to try it out so so in a sense you can think of it as play or you can yeah. think of it as experiment Science, and i think yeah. it's the same kind of uh idea though that 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 you are trying out different things and you're using different elements and 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 seeing how it works and then if it fits wear it and if it doesn't fit then take it off and do something different something else yeah so what are some of your favorite tasks that you develop with your clients one is do as if yeah there's a lot of as if so so for example i'll ask the miracle question where i'll you know i'm curious about supposing that whatever the problem is that you've come in here for is no longer present or or you've overcome it somehow or if people describe you know what it is that they want their desired future and then we then they describe that in more if you will, technicolor, mm. uh, then we can talk about, well, you know, may you might try this out and see what happens when you just assume that it's it's already happened and, and see how that goes. So that's certainly one of the things that, that uh, I think is a very useful uh, task mm. uh, for people, I think, to just, again, experiment. It's, it's, not, it's not like they have to do this forever. In fact, <laughs> in fact, with 
with this guy, he was saying, yeah, this isn't a forever thing, is it? And I said, <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, the whole point is to just try something out and see what happens when you do it. And, and it's just a way of uh, finding out if this is useful to you in some way. It would uh, not surprise me if he comes back in a week and says, well, well, I started and I just did it for well, for the whole week. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, of... and, and I find oftentimes people, when I tell them, no, 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 just for an hour, they keep going and they keep doing it because it, it's really uh, doing something for them that, that's helpful. And then they, they kind of keep going uh, and now have it as kind of, a, if you will, uh, like a tool that they, that they use all the time rather than just something that sits there, uh, even though it's potentially mm -hmm. available. And still they can decide. Yeah, it's stop, up to them. Stop doing that or mm -hmm. doing something else or keep doing it and mm -hmm. having well this, these different interactions in their relationships. And I think that's that's uh, one of the summaries of, of what we do. We interact in a different way in a therapy session. People who go out, they interact in a different way with their colleagues, with their partners, with, with life. Yeah, kind of changing the interactions. Well, also when I when I work with people who um, are have been traumatized in some way, I think oftentimes what happens is that these are folks who now have ideas about the situation where they say were injured or something like that, where they may not feel like they can. It's okay to. Be in that situation any longer when in fact whatever happened has a very low probability of happening again mm -hmm. and so how do you get people out of that so i think one of the ways you do that is by having them experiment uh well i think there's two things one of them is you can do it in your head and then you can do it out in real life and so one thing that people can do is they can go over what happened in their mind so that then they get a chance to go through it, but on their terms, rather than it coming to them and interrupting it's so that they're always reacting to this thing that comes to their mind so that instead they take it over by going to it deliberately. And then the rest of the time when it comes to them on its own accord, they'll say, no, not now, I'll deal with you later. And then take the time out to go ahead and go there on their own terms. So in a sense, turn the tables on this thing that is been oftentimes, you know, these folks I see often as have been bothered by something for months and sometimes years. And once they, they start controlling it rather than it controlling right. them, it changes the whole dynamic and they start experiencing uh, some, some sense of power over it rather than it controlling mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And then if you then, let's say if it's an accident, uh, then you can perhaps go to the scene and drive through the intersection where the accident happened and do that like three times in a row. So that rather than you know having to start over each time, if you go there through there every once a month or so, that you very quickly kind of go, well, gosh, nothing bad happened. So you, you're learning very quickly that, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it was a place where a bad thing happened, but it, it turns into this thing that is now in the past rather than in the immediate present for them. Mm. So also here, those, well, for them, not, but, but kind of, if you look from an outside view, small things that work and really kind of give them hope and, and, let them experience uh, that it can work. Well, and that I, I think that the thing is that it's a way of 
of them gaining control over it rather than it controlling yep. them yep. by doing something small and very safe. Mm -hmm. Because if you, you know, if you start out by say going to the scene of the accident, that might be too much. But thinking about it, mm -hmm. that's not so dangerous. And especially mm -hmm. if you're doing it in a safe place, you know, let's say in your bedroom or you know somewhere where you're not going to be interrupted, but where you know you're okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. You're also president of the SFBTA, Solution Focused Brief Therapy Association, and you have done a lot for not only for the Brief Therapy Association, but also for Solution Focused Brief Therapy to have it on the map of uh, the research world or, or doing other things. So tell us more about your engagement there and, and about Solution Focus Brief Therapy Association. Well, um, so this association was founded by uh, Steve DeShazer and Insu Kimberg. So it's really an honor to kind of participate in that role of, of being president of the association, actually president and president of the board. We have a wonderful board of, of really committed volunteer solution-focused therapists and, and uh, solution-focused practitioners. We meet monthly, and our main task is to make sure that the Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Association Conference, which will be in Boulder uh, this year in November, early November, is uh, something that is uh, you know, in place and will be successful. Mm -hmm. That is our primary task. But we also ended up with the legacy of the Brief Therapy Training Center in Milwaukee, and uh, we ended up Uh, with the videos and the book rights and so on, and the legacy of, of Stephen Insu. And so we have actually an archive committee that, that has collected this information and these objects uh, that we keep uh, and try to Uh, make available to people who are interested in this. We also have a research committee uh, that, which has been very active, especially in putting solution-focused brief therapy in the on the map in terms of as an evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. And so we've ended up applying to and uh, and getting uh, on uh, various registers for evidence-based practice. And so we select uh, studies that demonstrate that solution-focused therapy is helpful. And then we also have uh, other committees like a scholarship committee and, mm. and other committees that, that help run the organization. And it's just an amazing group of people. The thing that I really love about the solution-focused community is that it really lives its principles. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, these are really nice people who are really positive and really uh, doing things that are good for the world and for those around them. And so it's, it's just a joy to be around this community. And that's one of the reasons why I so much look forward to the conference mm -hmm. because These are some amazing people who are trying to be helpful, helping each other, working towards you know common goals. And unlike a lot of professional conferences which can, that can be sort of backbiting and, and negative and critical of others, this is such a positive thing. While at the same time, we have high quality presentations and have a, a you know, really good discussion mm. about issues. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like we're avoiding dealing with things we in fact very directly deal with them, but in a very positive context. Yeah. You'll find more about the SFBTA, about the conference, about the material that Steve just told you about on our resource section of this podcast. And you will also find all the interviews of our podcast so far at the conference. 
So Jonathan D. Sherman will be there, Pamela King will be there, Monica Rotner will be there, Stephen Langer will be there, we will be there. So if you want to know more about Solution Focus, if you want to get to know the people that you are listening to on this podcast, come to Boulder November 7th. Yes. And you'll and find everything on our website yeah. and also on the website of the SFBTA. So one last question. If there's one thing I think is most valuable for our listeners to take away from this podcast or from what you said or from what you think is most important at the moment, what would that be? Well, you know, I'm really a believer in small things and how powerful small things can be. So I would challenge the listeners to do at least one thing every week for either their partner or a loved one that that partner is likely to remember a month later. And the challenge is to do something that does not cost money or is no more than $5. So for example, you can maybe pick a flower that you see blooming out on a bush and bring it home and bring it to your loved one and put it on the middle of the table uh, where you normally eat dinner and surprise them with that hmm. or give them a big kiss and say hey I'll I'll do the vacuuming today and I'll and you just sit there and read your book and and enjoy yourself while I'm doing something that you would normally do hmm. so there's an almost infinite number of things that that are possible uh, with this challenge task but if you can challenge yourself to think of just one thing a week, you might really build up your relationship with that person in a really powerful way. Yeah, and this will be the challenge of this week and hopefully many more weeks in your life and our lives too. Yeah, kind of the small, do a small thing challenge that really makes a difference. So thank you very much for being on our podcast, Stephen. It was Really pleasure for me, not only to talk with you about Solution Focus here on a podcast, but also to well spend time with you and um, your partner and to have these great discussions that we had in your lovely home. And well, it's been a very great pleasure and also honor for us to be here. So thank you very much. Well, it's been a real pleasure and honor on my side as well. So so thank you so much, and I'm so glad that you're doing these kind of podcasts too. To kind of bring people into the fold and get them to understand how they can make this work for themselves. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Simply Focus podcast. And now we are curious and we would like to listen to you. What has inspired you in this podcast and how's the challenge going? Please comment in the comment section of this podcast. Go to www.sfontour.com slash podcast and then go to episode number nine and let us hear from you. Next week, Elfie and I will talk with the amazing Janet Bavilis about the action that is in the interaction. And if you don't want to miss an episode of the Simply Focus podcast, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Blueberry, or on our website. Goodbye, see you next week.